following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing the all-new RAV4 Hybrid. 208 combined horsepower and standard all-wheel drive make it the most powerful RAV4. Plus, with its head-turning style and breakaway speed, it's bound to change the way you think of a hybrid. The all-new RAV4 Hybrid. Toyota. Let's go places. Horsepower. Ratings achieved using the required premium and gasoline with an octane rating of 91 or higher. Premium fuel is not used. Performance will decrease. My name is Matt Perez. My name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. But first, a quick break. We're taking a moment to thank our supporters, Amica Insurance, Rocket Mortgage, and Veradesk. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. Hey, Satchel. Hey, Matt. How's it going? I'm doing all right. That was like a really good conversation that we had with Dimitri Williams. Like it, we kind of ended like there was almost a lack of resolve <laughs> when when we kind of ended it. We obviously had to end at some point. We were going to exhaust his time, but like I had so many questions about how we interact like like with other people in within the context of like MMOs and stuff because I think it it all just sort of relates to how we relate to each other as people and as people online across like many contacts. So to run into someone like him who like studies that and all like the nuances of that is, is really cool. Yeah. Especially I've recently, I'm just more and more into multiplayer games. So it's definitely something in my mind of like how I'm interacting with people and how it reflects me. And also like how it differs from when I was doing it in like 2007 with like Halo three, like you've, you've been playing world of Warcraft recently, right? Like getting back into that. Yeah, I was literally playing that last night. I ran like three dungeons. It was great. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Back to, to, yeah. to, to and, like and with a mixed bag of oil. people I don't know and you know friends that I've known for a while, new friends. It's a it's a fellowship builder. Yeah, <laughs> or I'm sometimes sure. breaker. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm playing like Fortnite right now, and it's like I guess it's a little different because it's like a little bit more competitive. So you know, you might be in a game with um, four stra- three strangers, and and it's just like you guys. We meet up and we have to just like figure out how to survive until the end, and it's usually a mess. But you know, people are usually pretty active to to actually talk in the game, yeah. which is um, not always the case. Um, but uh, and then you know, sometimes uh, my friends will come in and will you know, it's it just like that. It just reminds me of uh, just hanging out um, late at night and playing Halo Three, which was like a formidable experience playing online multiplayer games i think like with 360 when that came out everyone had a mic and everyone was willing to go in and chat and do call outs for spots where they see a spartan you know and that's always yeah it's tough to recapture that and like when that happens it's like it feels pretty it's pretty special you know yeah no i totally hear that especially i i don't know about you and how it works with World of Warcraft because it's a different game, and like, I'm, I'm sure you you played it early on, right, when it first came out. Yeah, I played it when it first came out. Yeah, so like with Halo Three, so uh, there was limitations to you know the early goings of Xbox Live, and it was a thing of like you don't just meet up with like three of your friends and jump into a Discord channel. Like you have to, you're just out in the open. Like if you wanted to talk to your friends, you have to talk to it out in the open so everyone's like just super active and like 
talking and um you you can actually you were like i was meeting people and like starting like teams and stuff and the same thing goes with like before that when like socom came out and that had like the first mic well not the first but like a very popular mic and uh, online setup for playstation 2 and like you know having to go through like tryouts to to see if you're good enough to play with these guys <laughs> in, in battles, you know, <laughs> and like that's yeah. just super nerve wracking. But I just remember um, vividly when like I don't know, like a year after Halo Three came out, they introduced Xbox Live parties, and that was more oh my gosh, like yes, I remember that Skype or like Discord, where you just like hang out in a private chat. And I feel like that really changed, at least on consoles, like the ecosystem of like how competitive games were played or like how you interacted with people because it's no longer like out in the open um it's more like insular and so if you wanted to like actually find teammates to play through team slayer uh you know it, it was a lot harder i don't know if that like happened for world of warcraft or not because on pc well, it's a different experience yeah. You know, with PC, it's a little bit different. So if somebody wants to implement something, it doesn't have to go through this kind of proprietary, like, means of will, like, you know, will Microsoft or will Sony, like, approve this? And then they have to put it together internally, and then they have to put it out to people have to test it. With PC, someone could just, like, build a program that you can run that mm-hmm. will, like, get things done, and you can run it adjacent to World of Warcraft. Um, in the beginning... I would say World of Warcraft came at a time where people were already kind of online gaming and had, like, their means of communicating with each other. Um, at the time, like, TeamSpeak and Vent, Ventrilo, which were, were sort of the two de facto things. In the beginning, I remember kind of playing on my own and then sort of communicating with people. But once, like, uh, running instances and raids became, like, a more popular thing, um, it created a market with which like developers could start putting together and selling applications where they could talk with one another. And, uh, I totally, it it was definitely, it was for me, it was, it was a little bit less gradual than your experience. It was, it was like night and day where it went from not really communicating to now having full freedom. And like now it's grown to a point where it's essential and you can, you don't even need like a third party to do that. Like you don't need discord. People use discord, of course, but like you don't need it because the, the voice chat is actually built into the game. So if you're a part of a party, it will let you use your sort of like hardware microphone to, you know, um, to speak with other people. Yeah. I guess it kind of also like depends on the game too, because I don't know if I was, I don't know about you, but like if I'm playing call of duty, I'm probably going to put music on and just like (laughs) not talk to anybody. Like, Oh yeah, for sure. Game you run around and shoot things sometimes. Like that's how I play it. But like definitely objective is kill guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) But But in like a more middle earth and kind of token S experience, you have your classic roles of like, okay, someone's tanking, someone's healing, someone's doing DPS. Like there's different kinds of support. Usually there's chat to communicate that nuance, not a whole bunch, like I ran a couple dungeons that were almost completely silent, but you know, for the most part, you want to make sure, hey, is everybody ready before you go to the next mob boss? Versus just like an all-out war with guns and explosions. Yeah, I have like my big thing, you know, multiplayer game. I constantly mention uh, when I got like college was League of Legends. Like that was it for me, and it's like that's definitely a game where you absolutely need to rely on your teammates just like a good and bad thing it's like yeah like we're actually going to interact with one another because we really have to like you need to be signaling to your teammates and you have to play a role 
And then, like, the bad of that is that, you know, working together is really, really hard, and it gets on people's nerves, and things happen, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. And it's definitely, like, the, the analogy I always had in my head was, like, it's totally... I guess, like, a really good analogy is that it's, like, a sports team. But I always looked at it like it's office culture. It's, like, you have to know your role. And, like, you, like you, everyone has their <laughs> own kind of, like, personality they have to deal with and stuff like that. And it's you know it turns into the office. Like, there's just that certain type of player that will sit in a bush for ten minutes writing you a novel because they just really need to get something off their chest that they really hate you. And, like, you also <laughs> have just people that are totally dead silent but like like i i will go silent for most of the game but like 15 minutes in i'm getting a little too invested and that's where i start like trying to be a captain and just freaking out and stuff and it just it always ends poorly but like i love the i in the moment not always the best but i love the idea that you actually have to rely on people and those type of experiences happen i can just like turn on my computer and have that weird teamwork experience you know team building experience dude i hear that i definitely yeah i i I think i think i'm somewhere in between there where like i like i'm the the way the term i've sort of coined for it with my friends is like i'm like that cigarette player where i like to be able to sit down and like like one hand is like just use one hand to like get through the whole thing the other hand i'm holding a cigarette and i'm like talking with other people like connecting with other people like one-on-one maybe but for the most part just sort of like playing through like getting my job role like not getting too like intense like uh that meme of charlie from it's always sunny in philadelphia with like the uh (laughs) the the red string like running across like the map on the wall or anything like trying to get too like beautiful mind about it um (laughs) but just know like i'm a healer i love being a healer like just knowing i'm a healer i just have to keep everybody alive and just casually going through, knowing my way through, and doing my thing. Uh, but I totally hear that, and they're they're totally folks that like you know I I like I like that every team I have has like the rah rah person in it. So I totally relate to that too. Yeah. Um, go, going more off of the sort of social component, like there there's some interesting things that come to mind that we touch on in the interview. Um, like I think about you know most people do portray themselves like when they're playing themselves online and that's been a really cool thing with the ex- exception of RP servers where RP for people in podcast land stands for role play and it's essentially where you try to play into the character that you've built for yourself you put together the whole kit and caboodle we're talking like family genealogy royalty you belong to why you're a part of the guild that you choose to apply to the guild application process requires like a dissertation of lore around who you are as a person and like why you're why you're capable and I, I did that for like a couple of months it's very intense very socially involved um not my cup of tea but i wanted to do it to say that i did it um outside of that it really is cool that you can sort of interact with people as they are um i don't know about you like and i'd love to hear like sort of your story with that but for me um being on ventrilo and being in these different voice chats while questing with other people i was able to formulate a lot of like very strong relationships with people that you know at the time like i'm thinking when i first started playing i was in high school that i never thought that i would ever connect with or talk to you know yeah um there just so many like late night chats where you like create a private room and maybe you you know you're with a guild of people there's like 50 people in it or whatever but like there's like one dude you quest with super chill or gal or uh, uh non-gender conforming and like there you're all just kind of playing together you you go into like a private room and you just talk about like life like those were the best night like it's 2 a.m 
you're freaking killing dragons, whatever you're doing, and you're just, like, having, like, a half-decent conversation with a stranger. And then, like, over time you find out, like, oh, that person was a mom. Oh, that person um, was, you know, comes from this walk of life that I've never even, like, really interacted with before. Um, Those moments, I feel like, in a really weird way, prepared me for the real world. (laughs) Yeah. No, I totally get that. And it's something, like, I I think early on, like, once – I think we we're both like the same age. Like we we uh, had that advent of like seeing um, uh, online come to gaming, and like definitely that was like a new experience where it's like no, you're just meeting people, and like you could totally just have a conversation, and like that's definitely probably my favorite games are the ones where you know I do like competitive games, but like the ones that kind of have downtime, we can just talk kind of thing. And um, no, I I think definitely as far as playing a role i think people usually lean into their roles or like just lean into who they are more so like they can be themselves because there is that element of like you're just chilling on your computer and like it might just be a stranger it might be someone you semi know you don't really hang out with in the real world but like you know you can actually spend time hanging out through the game like that's definitely something that happened a lot like high school friends we would just play till like 4 a.m and it's like you usually can't hang out till 4 a.m. in high school. Like, you can do it in a game, though, you know? And, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I definitely think I become. Oh my gosh, you're so right. Yeah. Those were my hangouts. What does that sound like? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm so. I, I'm, uh, I'm terrible at reading. I'm listening to Masters of Doom, and that's, that's something that, like, John Romero, uh, expressed where it's like, oh, like, I don't have to bug my friends at midnight to, to make them play Doom. I can just, like, play online that sounds amazing so that's like totally like yeah it's the equivalent of hanging out and that's definitely what i did throughout high school and like a lot of good memories and stuff but it definitely i think uh you become more of yourself where even if like i'm playing a role-playing game where you know you have to make these decisions that you don't necessarily think are reflective in like your everyday life when you look back they tend to like i think they tend to show just kind of like how you are like it's kind of like a personality test and certainly and like it's it's totally like a um uh, uh a storytelling technique or like a uh, ethos where it's uh you know conflict breeds character kind of thing like every movie should have constant conflict for two hours so you can understand who this character is and that's like <laughs> when you're playing like a video game like you're in the midst of a conflict you know like you have a goal yeah. in mind so yeah like i think definitely both the good and bad sides of me come out uh, while playing uh, uh, a competitive online game. Definitely if I'm playing with friends, the bad side doesn't come out. Like, you're chilling. And that's definitely uh, uh, recently, you know, because all my friends from high school were kind of, like, splintered across the country at, at this point, you know. Uh, my one friend's yeah. in Seattle, and it's, like, us hanging out is either playing Overwatch or League of Legends or something like that. Like, and we just get in Discord and just talk, and that's, like, how it goes. Like... So there's like a lot of those different interactions and it has become sort of this um you don't even like think about it. It's totally like a chat room or like it's your way of hanging out now. Uh it's just like 2018, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not a bad thing. No, I don't um, think so. Yeah. I I do remember uh, vividly really- uh uh when we first got uh online for ps2 or just playing <clears throat> counter-strike and tf2 or tfc oh my gosh did you play online for ps2 i respect if you bought that modem yeah man <laughs> i played <laughs> <pretty> so <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, that's wonderful. It was so it, yeah, like I love 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 SOCOM. I think that's why I like PUBG. It's kind of like SOCOM, but uh um no, like it definitely I mean, you had to hook it up to your phone, so there's that. Or no, yeah, I think you could do dial up. But I think we eventually got a modem, but it's still super laggy. I remember trying to play Tribes 2. That was impossible. SOCOM was a little bit better. <laughs> Uh, but no, totally. I, I I absolutely got that with the the weird headset you got too. Um, it's, yeah, it's yeah, great. But before that, we did have didn't know better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We did, did not know better. But before that, we had you know Counter Strike and uh, TFC, and definitely uh, I, I don't know how my my parents felt about it, but it definitely was like, oh, I could just like mess around and yell at people. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> but also just like the actual like oh now you you're joining uh, teams and stuff and and actually meeting people and like it's yeah it's totally that experience of like oh this is weird like you're not supposed to talk to strangers but this is cool like dude i totally relate to that um i i, I feel like we're already starting to cover ground that Dimitri Williams talked to like very very well so Let's jump into the interview that we have with Dimitri Williams. He's an associate professor of communications and journalism at USC. Please enjoy this, because we did. But first, a quick break. Traditional static offices are a thing of the past. Today, companies and employees want an active workspace. Veridesk helps people reimagine their office design. Being more active at work, like standing more and sitting less, can help improve your health by boosting energy and productivity. Veridesk Active Workspace solutions make it easy to encourage more movement in a day. The new ProDesk 60 electric standing desk is the cornerstone of the active office. It's designed with commercial-grade materials, stable at any height, and fully assembled in under five minutes. Plus, all Veridesk products are made to last. They're also simple to set up and move or reconfigure as businesses change and grow. Check out Veridesk products, including the new ProDesk 60 electric, risk-free for 30 days with free shipping and free returns. Learn more at veridesk.com slash Forbes. That's V-A-R-I desk.com slash Forbes. So with us now is Dimitri Williams, an associate professor of communication and journalism at USC. Dimitri, thanks for joining us again. Happy to talk to you guys. Yeah, so can you uh, talk about your research a bit into online communities? Like, are you studying behavior of individuals and groups? Yep, that's a pretty good broad-level description. Um, I like games. I've been studying game players for about 15-plus years now, and I started off um, talking to people, um, you know, literally playing games and doing what we call participant observation, and then I moved into experiments and surveys, and more recently I've been doing large-scale big data type stuff. And, yeah, I look at individuals, try to see what makes them tick, but ultimately I'm really interested in how that rolls up to large groups of people or small groups of people and community level effects. So it's the social psychology of individuals and groups playing games. So things like how they work together and, you know, meet up and, and things like that. Sure. Well, you know, I take it as a given that they've got their online life and their offline life. And sometimes those are the same and sometimes they're separate. Um, and so some of the research is about what happens when people that don't know each other go online and, their relationships are, you know, mediated in some way because of the kind of game they're playing or the way they're playing it. Um, and then sometimes it's about people that already know each other and how they maintain relationships or those relationships change um, and how the online and offline mix. It's a, you know, it's a big messy ball of stuff. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Like with online communities, like, 
like you mentioned how how it like reflects differently maybe than the real world can you talk a little bit about that like what sets it apart and like how is that reflected in the games well sure that's a big question because <laughs> um you know unlike you know say if you were studying television uh, you know everybody understands that you know there are these genres and you know I understand that what a channel is, but you get into games and all of a sudden you've got, you know, a million different games out on all these different platforms. And sometimes you're using voice to talk to each other. Sometimes you're typing, sometimes you're playing by yourself. Sometimes you're playing with a few people. Sometimes you're playing with thousands of people. Um, And so there are just lots and lots of different modes that have a huge impact on things. And then, you know, there's the idea that your online life and your offline life might be the same. They might not. You might use your actual identity you might use a you know make made up identity. In other words, there could be different levels of anonymity at play. When, when I first started studying this stuff, you know, in the in the late '90s, people were going online, and those were there were quotation marks around that, like it was a big you know weird new thing, and there really wasn't a lot of connection to your offline life. Um, and in fact, we would even measure like what's happening online, what's happening off, as if you know you were two separate people. And now people can manage that. Sometimes they're aware of it. Sometimes they're not. Um, and kind of some of the broad things we figured out are that generally speaking, people, when they go online, they're pretty much like themselves offline. You know, it was kind of an open question at the beginning, like maybe everybody's going to go on and pretend to be uh, a blank. Um, and mm. not a lot of people do that. Like if you're outgoing, you're outgoing, you know, people don't change a ton. Sometimes they're just more of what they were before. Um, but there's a, this is a deep rabbit hole, right? So you guys tell me where you want to go down. Ah, yeah, that's totally fair. Sometimes maybe you even get the more brash, brazen side of people that you wouldn't be able to get in real life because you don't see their face. <laughs> I can feel that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think for one sure. thing that kind of floats to the top uh, for me, at least one one question that sort of sort of floats to the top for me, is um, in your research, has there been any kind of difference in behavior between the way people playing something like Second Life, for example, would play versus World of Warcraft, where it in, in games like World of Warcraft, a lot of those Blizzard online games, you find experiences where um, it's all kind of wrapped in this united goal that's very, like, competition-oriented. And with something like Second Life, it's it's much more open form, right? And everyone can have different goals or can be on for various different reasons. Um, on World of Warcraft, on, on a competitive, in a competitive context, you could be on for different reasons as well. Um, but there are, like, these kind of focused contexts in which everybody's working towards the same thing and different things. Like if you're running an instance or something like you might want it for an item, another person might want it for experience, but you're still all, you still all have to stick with each other. I'm curious to know if there's any kind of difference in interaction between something a little bit more open and wide and something a little bit more like competitive, like video gamey for lack of better words. Yes. Um, Boy, there are a lot of good questions in there. Um, so let's, let's, let's put aside for the, for the moment, the notion of whether or not people are role-playing, um, because a subset of people actually do go on and pretend to be someone else for a variety of reasons. That's a whole separate topic. Happy to get into if you guys want. So let's talk about people who aren't pretending to be something else. And then the heart of your question is really, does the game and the way it's set up have an impact on how people behave, you know, different mechanics, different settings, different goals, you know, some games are more um, what we call on rails. You know, if you're playing Super Mario Brothers, you're going from left to right and, you know, you may jump and go back a little bit, but you don't have a lot of creative control. 
And other games are more what we call a, a sandbox where you can go in and do lots of stuff. And um, Second Life would be an extreme example of a sandbox where there's not even a way to win. It's just, you know, it's just like a bunch of tools like Minecraft on creative mode. Whereas Warcraft is still a sandbox world, but definitely has goals and mechanics and you're trying to win and do things. And the way that the game is set up does have a big effect on the kind of relationships that form and, and, and how you behave. So f forget video games for a minute and just think about a sport that you play or a game that you played you know, with your friends around the neighborhood. The rules of the game would actually have a huge impact on how you felt about the other players. So just the fact that if you're going to be on separate teams, you know, you're going to think about us versus them suddenly. Um, if, uh, you know, the game encourages aggressive behavior, you might have more conflict with other players. Um, and you can take the same people and put them in different games and they're going to have these different emotional and social reactions. So the main mechanic in a game like Warcraft is, here's our fancy word for the day, interdependence, um, where the players actually need each other to survive. So if you go in and you have to kill like a giant dragon, um, you've got a player who stands in front of the dragon and pretty much takes the hit. You've got a player like me who's a coward who runs in back and shoots an arrow at the dragon from far away. Uh, and then you've got somebody trying to keep that big tank-like character alive. And if you went in with like just by yourself, the dragon would kill you instantly. Um, and if you went in with all of a certain type, the dragon would kill you, you know, slowly, but it would definitely kill you. So you need like people playing different roles and needing each other to win. And because that's set up, you've created an incentive where people sort of have to get to know each other and have to cooperate in order to beat the game. And contrast that with the game when you don't need other players. And so right there, you're going to have different social outcomes. You're going to have different communities that get formed because of the necessity of the way the game's set up. And players aren't usually aware of this. They have like usually a vague sense of, I'm having fun. I like the people I'm playing with but they don't realize that they've been pushed to these kinds of social connections because of the very way the game's set up. And right, to right, be fair, right. it, it, the game makers usually don't know that that's happening either. They're not like, you know, social masterminds and social scientists with puppet strings. So you've got right. all these like, <laughs> actual real world effects that are happening, even though no one really intended it. Yeah. It's funny that's... you bring up the, the sports analogy. Cause that's like, how I feel when I jump into like a random game with strangers with, you know, we're on like a team of four and we have to like work together toward the same goal. It has that sort of, you know, you sometimes get frustrated with your teammates, um, but you know, you have to come together and, and you have that weird relationship that like has a tighter bond, I, I suppose, once you actually go through that conflict, you know, and I, it's something where, you know, uh, I don't, I didn't often play too many sports growing up, like a few, but it, it is like it was cool to be able to have like a Halo Three or something where it's like, no, you go through that with your with your friends or with random strangers, and you can find a bond there. Yeah, and, and if you played pickup basketball or you played World of Warcraft, when you came the next day, you'd be happy to see some of the same people because you wouldn't have to go through that learning curve and that friendship icebreaker moment again. And so you're more likely to play with the same people and develop those relationships. It just cuts down on the effort. And, you know, making friends is good. So you, you're happy to do it. The first thing that comes to mind when you sit, when you kind of like tell that anecdote is the weird kind of situation we're in where sometimes the goals of this, the goals of the developer don't necessarily align with the benefits, those communal benefits of the player. 
Um, I think a lot about how – so BlizzCon happened like not too long ago and um, in there they sort of announced uh, World of Warcraft Classic, um, which was essentially supposed to be like their shot at bringing that world back to the way that it was when people first started where everyone was kind of dropped into this context and they had to figure things out together and it was rough around the edges. But that sort of difficulty, that sort of struggle like strengthened everybody's relationships – um, there was this, there was a big switch where Blizzard started, uh, they started favoring efficiency over that sort of rough around the edges kind of idea that they had any kind of like hard time somebody's having, like achieving something was sort of seen as a mistake. It was seen as a blocker, um, rather than as something that sort of had a reward that, that revealed itself over time. And so you got these things like instance queuing where instead of like exploring the world and finding a place to like run a dungeon together, you're kind of like teleported there. I think an interesting thing that it did was, um, though it was a lot easier, like you didn't have to spend like half hour to an hour trying to get a group to get something done. Um, it also created this sense of anonymity where you couldn't be happy to meet the person that you were playing with the day before. And it's this weird kind of separation in the favor of automation. I'm curious to know if um, your research has touched on that at all, if, if there's anything kind of adjacent to that that you kind of relate to that you could speak to. Sure. Let me, let me bring it back out into the real world um, again. Uh, the, the fancy thing that you described is uh, we call the shadow of the future. That's sort of the way you think about anonymity and, and whether or not your actions are going to come back and haunt you. And when there isn't much of a shadow of the future, people behave accordingly. They don't worry about the repercussions. So that's a that's a big design factor. But just let's just take this to like, you know, where you live or where you work and the way that your office or the way that your neighborhood is set up. Some people live in areas where they're relatively sealed off into pods. and They don't have a lot of contact with other people. Imagine you live in a place where you get in your car, you drive to work, you park, you um, walk in through your garage door, and you never see another person. Versus, like you live in Manhattan and you're out on the street and you're cheek by jowl and you're, you know, buying something at the bodega and you see the same people every day. Some systems force you to mix with other people, and other systems don't. And the systems where people have gotten their privacy and their safety and their anonymity, they're cozy, but they're cut off and they're lonely and they're bored and they're not as happy. So they may be more efficient. They may get to work in a certain way. They may, you know, get whatever they like, um, but they wind up being dehumanized. I mean, you think about like, why would anyone ever go to a movie theater when you have a giant screen in your house? And we go because we want to be with other people. So it's a constant battle mm. between like convenience and getting just what you want, but the need to be human and be in contact with other people. It's a, you know, an, an evolved thing. And that's kind of what's happening in some game spaces where they're like, well, let's make it super easy and let's cut out the messy human parts. But you know, <laughs> the messy human parts are what make us human. Like, you know, you 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 meet your, your future spouse because you have to walk down the hall in the office to go to the water cooler. You can just have it more efficient and have, you know, water hand delivered to the desk. But, you know, you need to mix with other people to be a human. So I, I think that's the kind of phenomenon you're talking about. And once again, the developers, you know, they're not usually social scientists. This isn't their thing. And they're thinking, how can we reduce friction? How can we increase player happiness? How can we increase spending? And not thinking about, like, what's the resulting strength of the community in the long term? 
And that I do specifically study and I do have hard numbers around. And I can tell you like what percentage of money and playing time is driven by community in different types of games. And when you change these features, you could watch these numbers go up and down and see um, you actually see the profit go up and down as well. So a lot of times developers wind up shooting themselves in the foot by making things cleaner and nicer, um, but they take the human out and then that makes people happy short term, but lonely long term and eventually quit. So do you feel like this increase in anonymity? I mean, do the numbers show? And, and also, I'd love to just know your personal input like against the numbers. Like, mm-hmm. Do you feel like it's making better communities or stronger communities like maybe there's something i'm not seeing the uh, the changes that they've made um no they usually don't make for for better communities um uh, well, well sometimes they make for stronger smaller groups um it's a question of how often you're exposed to new people and strangers it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing right um, just to give you some sense of baseline like people play single player games and they're like about five to eight percent of their reasoning for doing so actually involves other people they're okay. gifted they're invited they see leaderboards like there's even some humanity even in single player games which is kind of amazing mm. once you add in multiplayer that number jumps up usually to the mid-20s like that's the percentage of their play that you can explain from community and social forces um you add like hyper competitive stuff you jump up a few more percentages um, but it gets weighed down a little bit because you get some toxicity as well you go to MMOs and you get <laughs> yeah. like 50, 60, 70, 80% of the behavior is driven by community. So that's a huge lever on why people play and how they play. And it's the result of these mechanics. And so, you know, you, you can't mess with that stuff. It's what, it's, it's what makes those games fun. Um, so you can't make it too efficient. It, you need some messiness. You need other people. The other yeah. people in, in some sense are the content. Right? Game developers like, we made this beautiful world. People play ugly, stupid, boring worlds because they're having fun and they're doing so with friends. So in a game like an MMO, the friend and the interaction and the interdependence is way more important than the graphics. It always has been. Oh, okay. Yeah, 100%. I totally hear that. Kind of going along with that, we have like new technologies like apps like Discord where, you know, it's making chat, you can make it more private or, and, and I feel like that, do you think that has affected you know, how these communities are formed or how game communities are cultivated um, with these new uh, efficiencies, I guess? For sure. I actually did an experiment um, on World of Warcraft player guilds a few years back where voice chat was just starting to come online. People were using TeamSpeak and and, and whatnot. But it was still new, so a lot of people hadn't done it. And I, I got a bunch of guilds, and I gave half of them headsets and microphones and access to servers. To, t- to chat and I gave the other half um, nothing. And so it was really a test of the effect of like, what does voice do? Um, and inside the clan or inside the guild, it had a really a pretty positive effect. It makes things much more personal. You get a lot more social cues. You know, you can hear tone of voice. I mean, everybody's had oh, these yeah. problems with like text chat or, um, or, or you know, any kind of text where you have misunderstandings, you, people didn't understand you're being sarcastic, you, you say something stupid without meaning to, you get in fights, and you have much more information from voice. Like, you can tell if I'm excited or happy or sad better than reading mm-hmm. a transcript. And so the people would actually get deeper connections and it insulated them from a lot of the tumult that was happening out in the game world at the same time. They, they liked each other more, um, they were stickier. Now, 
the the thing that I can't tell you from that study is whether that meant they became more insulated and didn't and didn't talk to other people, which I think is kind of what you're getting at. Like, you know, if they get really tight with each other, maybe they don't get exposed to new people. So it's a little bit of a trade off. But generally speaking, since people are afraid of of uh, their kids and and their loved ones going online and having empty, meaningless relationships uh, that replace real, solid, important, real world physical relationships, that it's probably a good move to have more depth um, than breadth, if you will, to give up some of the shallow and meeting random strangers to actually have people who you talk to and get to know. So voice is generally a good thing. It also removes some of that anonymity. So I, usually you see kind of net positive social effects, but it's a mix, right? It's not all, all good or all bad. Mm-hmm. You also get more discrimination. Like, you know, you had these people who, you know, maybe you have like a, an elderly Jewish man playing with a young black girl from two sides of the country and they never would have talked to each other. And now they do, but now they get on voice, they can tell who they are and hopefully that connection strengthens and it's a good thing. Right. But it also allows for people who maybe they were racist. They're like, Oh, I didn't know you were blank. Now I don't like you. So you just, you just get more depth for better or worse, usually for the better though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, a, a, one of the biggest games in the world is League of Legends, and they have not moved over to voice chat. And I'm wondering, if really, still? Yeah, it's still text, and it's it's difficult to type while playing a MOBA. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely something I think they've always pushed back against, and I don't know whether that's because maybe they want all of the toxicity in writing, maybe, um, or. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how they, they feel it'll, it'll affect the community or like how people interact with one another. I'm actually not entirely sure why they haven't moved over. But that's like an interesting case where, you know, they're still going old school, I guess, with it, you know, and you have to, if you want to, you have to rely on like a Discord channel or something like that. Well, yeah. you, you can't exactly blame them for not making big changes to something that is yeah. printing money. Exactly. I mean, that's the most successful game in the world. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But (laughs) having said that, that particular game and its developer riot are really very, very thoughtful about community and research. Mm -hmm. And they have a bunch of full-time social psychologists on staff who are running studies and looking at player psychology all the time. They think really deeply about community. It's very unusual in the game industry to, to devote that much time to it. So um, they're probably the most famous for working on and being proactive about toxicity. So the fact that they haven't decided to embrace voice is probably a pretty conscious decision. Yeah. Combination. Yeah. Of maybe we shouldn't mess with it, or maybe they have tested and they decided it wasn't worth it for them because of the, like the form factor, like, you know, you just don't want to mess with it. It's not a long-term uh, play. I mean, you see their competitive players certainly need it for coordination. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people who are friends will probably get on Skype or, or TeamSpeak or whatever and play. But no, not in the open sandboxy part of it because it's not really an open sandboxy kind of game. It's so much more small and focused. Yeah, I think if I think if they had mechanics that push people to continually play with the same people on a larger scale, they probably would have added voice to support community. But yeah. I'm not too surprised they haven't messed with it. They also have, I mean, they incorporate non, like, I guess non-verbal, like non-text cues, so you can, like, signal to people exactly what you want at, a like, a very quick flick of the wrist kind of thing. So there's also that. And, yeah, I think you're probably right. They, I mean, they dedicate time to just go on the, the subreddit to talk to uh, fans. I feel like that might be a, a, a bigger thing um, in the, in the uh, game industry coming soon because... 
you have more and more developers devoting a lot of their resources and time to create they it's you know the buzzword is games as a service but you know like things like Fortnite which have a consistent they want to build up that player base um and keep it long term and just continually you know innovate or you know uh, add to the um existing product so mm, yeah. i can definitely see them going toward yeah like managing a community like riot has in a more cerebral but also like on hands way well, that's know, right and shout out here to a couple of the former riot guys who have formed a um, a company um called phoenix games they'll be releasing a sort of monster hunter style game called dauntless it's in in beta right now open beta soon those are the same guys who did the smart ping system um in in league of legends and uh we'll see how they do with that kind of game as a service model i'm I, I know and like those guys. Full disclosure, they're friends of mine, and I just I'm really excited to see what they come up with because they're they're pretty smart on these issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just seems like it's going to be more and more that those type of experiences uh, and like that thoughtfulness will be required uh, more in like the industry and these games that are coming out. Well, one hopes. Yeah, <laughs> it would be good. It would be, be good business for the social scientists like us out here. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. If, uh, do you have uh, anything else to to add? Um, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. Any, yeah. Anything in particular <laughs> you're working on there, that yes. you'd like to share? Um, the industry is is moving um, and and growing at ridiculous rates. I mean, it's you know it's as big as or bigger than sports right now. Um, there's a giant shift to China. Um, there's a giant shift to mobile. There are huge demographic shifts happening. There are new formats being invented and tried out in you know, Battle Royale stuff like you've mentioned. There's so much change and so much growth that this is such a moving target. Having said that, there's still some hard and fast rules about human nature and what makes people tick. And to the extent that game developers are thinking about this, um, sometimes the player experience of communities can be made a lot better. I hope they do because not only does it make the world a better place, it also tends to make them money. Here's one of those times where those incentives of like the right thing to do and the quick buck happen to align. Um, it's just a question of whether or not the developers are thoughtful about those things. And, you know, it's not usually their core competency. Um, so uh, call people like me. There, there are plenty of us out here who want to help them both make money uh, and to make the world a better place. Uh, because when you've got a billion people doing something, it really demands being careful about this stuff you don't want to ruin lives and destroy communities and there's such power for positivity here so i hope they take it seriously awesome well dimitri thanks so much for uh joining us and uh talking us through this it was a pleasure you bet guys fun see you later great see you take care up next eric kane and paul tassi talk about the gaming phenomenon that is fortnite battle royale and what an upcoming mobile release could mean for the game but first a quick break Support for the Forbes Overworld podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to their rate and term in real time? And why can't there be a client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. 
Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. Hi, I'm Eric Kane. And I'm Paul Tassi. And uh, we're going to look at a game that has been sort of taking the internet and the world and the gaming community by storm. And uh, that's uh, Fortnite Battle Royale from Epic Games. Yes, and it came out last year, but I would say the last kind of two months specifically, it's really just kind of exploded and gone to another level that I have not seen personally since kind of the Pokemon Go craze where it was all anyone was talking about for a certain amount of time. Uh, We saw maybe a little bit of it with PUBG, which is kind of the game that inspired it, but I think now Fortnite is kind of (laughs) the clear winner of that contest, and it's just continues to to go up and up and up yeah it's kind of remarkable on every front i mean you can look at kind of any of the numbers and be amazed there's uh, the last count official count was over 40 million players and that was a while uh, ago on, so i'm that I'm was a while 50 yeah. or 60 now if i had to guess but uh. yeah easily and that's that's across ps4 xbox one pc and mac um, and then now the big news, of course, is that it's coming to mobile devices, uh, both I- iOS and Android devices. So that's going to bump those numbers way up. Oh, yeah. Um, it could, I mean, it could theoretically, depending on how many people adopt it, like double or triple it just off the bat yeah. just because of the availability of mobile devices. And Which is just insane. <laughs> and, and you wrote about this, how it, the mobile release is such a significant development because no other games do this. Like you might have some sort of like Call of Duty zombies mini game or something, or like some spinoff title on mobile or something or another, but almost no games are able to just port one-to-one versions of themselves to mobile. Like I, like Minecraft yeah. is the only one that really comes to mind uh, outside of kind of smaller indie games. Oh, that's a good example. And yeah. Yeah, think, think about how big Minecraft is. Yeah. Minecraft. <laughs> so if this isn't better. just totally terrible, <laughs> like I, we were all kind of skeptical about the touch controls and how that's going to work in a third person shooter. But if it can do it, like it is going to take things to a whole new level and kind of set the bar for, for all games going forward. I have a lot of faith that it will be good for one thing. It's Epic and they, they make good, good stuff typically. But for another, I think we have a test case already, which is PUBG has already released a version of its, of, uh, on mo- two versions on mobile, actually. One of them is, and I haven't played these yet, but I've talked to people who have, and one of them is basically the same exact game except for on mobile devices. And everyone says it's really good. A lot of people tell me it's better than the Xbox One version of the game, <laughs> so if, and, which maybe isn't saying much. But um, if, if PUBG can do it, I am pretty confident that Fortnite can do it because it's just a much better optimized game. Um, and, you know, Epic just has a, a, a bigger budget and a bigger um, team working on it. So... Uh, although Tencent, I know, is involved in the mobile version of PUBG, so they're they're a huge company. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, don't know, but yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable to see to think about where this could go with with just the idea behind mobile uh, and AAA 
console PC, having a one-to-one version across all these platforms with cross-play is, is something to, that's really pretty new. Yeah, and everyone I've talked to at Epic is like super jazzed about it, and they are kind of brimming with confidence that the whole thing is, is going to go swimmingly. And I know some people are worried about cross-play, but I, I think the cross-play thing isn't really going to be an issue because... That's the situation where when you would be cross-playing, you're probably just tagging along to your friends mm-hmm. that are on console or PC. Like, it's not going to be like every match is going to just be a giant mismatch of of PC, console, and mobile, and it's going to be a total you know train wreck as PC just steamrolls everyone. Um, right. Well, it's, that's partly because it's an opt-in thing for exactly, mobile players. Exactly. You can't yeah. just you can't be a PC player and jump on a mobile server. You, that just isn't an option, or else we would just see. So yeah, it would it be just be a train wreck. <laughs> but yeah, it, and I don't know. I'm, I'm. By the time this airs, we'll probably have our invites, I imagine, and and can I be so. playing it ourselves. But I, I am struggling to 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 figure out how well it would do because I played some shooters on mobile, and it just it never feels great. And I'm I'm hoping maybe once Bluetooth controller support is added down the line, that will be. Mm-hmm. A little better and kind of it'll they could almost feel like a switch version of it where you're just you're kind of playing with the controller on the go with your ipad or whatever uh yeah. not, there, there should also still be a switch version which i have to imagine is is in the works but it has probably to be, be right. last to market knowing <laughs> nintendo um well i think the big problem is just nintendo's it's kind of like with call of duty or these other games like the nintendo's online setup is just so stupid like the you know, with the Switch, you need to have a, a phone with an app to, to do voice chat. Yeah, and, about that. <laughs> you know, it's just such a mess in terms of uh, coordinating online gameplay that that's going to be a real challenge for any kind of competitive shooter, whether that's Fortnite or Call of Duty or anything else. Yeah, and I mean, it's we'll doable, see the launch but... of the Nintendo online thing in full, I guess, this fall. But I, I haven't seen anything so far that indicates to me that's going to be a really easy to use, robust kind of partying system or anything like that or, or the voice yeah. chat. and Oh boy, I don't know. I guess that's that's more Nintendo's problem to solve than the developers. But if any, yeah, you're right. I mean, if anything's holding us back, it's that. But yeah, yeah. But so, regardless, there's going to be Fortnite on just about everything you can imagine uh, at at some point. You know, iOS first. So we're gonna. I, I have an iPad that I'll be playing that on, and my phone then can't Android even later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have a six. I need a six S, so I got to use my iPad Mini. That's, that's my my ticket, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I'll be using an iPad Mini four um, because I I'm a I'm a Galaxy or an Android generally Android user. Although I had a Pixel, man, my I was so disappointed with the Google Pixel. That's like a, that's really? a whole other podcast. I realized, but <laughs> it, it first died on me while I was traveling in Europe. Then I got a new one, and then that one just from day one had problems until it just stopped making calls or texts. Just completely okay. lost mobile. So no more Google Pixels for me. Oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my iPhone is slowing way the hell down. The battery life is terrible, but at least it still runs. So yeah, that, that is a big part it. of it. But I, um, I can't imagine playing Fortnite on it because my battery would just be <laughs> like oh, the yeah. phone would probably just melt in my hands. Yeah, and it's it's small too. I don't know. I I feel like well, I don't I know. Like There's you need an iPad over an iPhone. But, like I, yeah. Fortnite's a game. I mean, maybe they'll change it for mobile, but I mean. The, the distance, like the draw distance on people, like if you're sniping or using one of the longer scoped rifles, like you, they can be pretty far. Like even on PC, oh, yeah. they can kind of be specs on the horizon and you can still do, you know, do good damage or get headshots or whatever. So on mobile where it's like this little three, four inch screen, I'm I'm concerned about even that aspect of it, not just the, the controls, but I guess we'll see. 
you know, it'll be interesting to see if um, some of the big streamers like Ninja try like play the mobile and still just stomp everybody, you know, I bet they the will and... because there's a certain measure of just game awareness that will yeah. <laughs> give you an advantage. But I, I imagine someone like Ninja would play it for like a day and then be like, all right, well, this is goofy and <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to go back to PC where I can actually make like really awesome plays as opposed to like barely making it through a match or whatever. I mean, I feel the same, even though I can't make really awesome plays, I feel like that's going to be me too. Like, I, I think that I'll use it probably the cross play more to play with like my seven year old, like have him hop on the tablet, maybe, you know, and then go run duo, uh, duo mode or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Like, like that's like you said, like tag along stuff, you know, get the, well, yeah. I mean, think about it. You could, have, and, you could have like a family that has, you know, Fortnite mm-hmm. on PC and then you have an Xbox and then you have, you know, a couple phones and that's a whole, you could have a squad and a family yeah. if you had enough people wanting to play and you just don't, I mean, certainly not with the mobile aspect, you don't see that in other games. Like forget, I mean, most games don't even have PC console crossplay. forget like oh, <laughs> yeah. mobile also. So this is. I feel like this could all end up backfiring if it's just so unbalanced that everyone hates it and <laughs> it's it's. Well, I don't see but... backfire though. I mean, I see people just not really using the crossplay that much. Yeah. But for the most part, I think if people are happy with the mobile version and they're just going to be playing mostly with other mobile players, like that'll be fine. You yeah, because everyone's at the same advantage level if they're all using the same controls. But so Fortnite. Uh, pretty much surpassed PUBG in terms of uh, active player base and everything else. And what what was the Twitch stat? There's twice as many people watching Fortnite streams as twice PUBG as many streams. People streaming and watching at, at okay. least, I think, at this point. But I mean, if Ninja gets on alone, he's like ninety thousand viewers by himself. So. Yeah, that's just crazy. Yeah. I I mean, what do what do you? I mean, you've played both games and. You've, I assume, watched both games being played. Yeah. What, what is it? I mean, what do you think? What is what is Fortnite's magic? I I wrote about this today, and like it, I just think there's so many factors that all went into this that it's hard to pinpoint one. I think I think PUBG is is starting to be at a significant disadvantage because of speed, uh, not gameplay speed. Well, partially gameplay speed, but <laughs> like literally the speed of development where. PUBG is on PC and some mobile areas and then like one console, but the pace of development compared to what Epic is just cranking into, into Fortnite, like every week or two is just, it's crazy. And like PUBG is still struggling to battle cheaters, which Fortnite doesn't have as big of a problem with. And I mean, they are developing stuff and they're doing new maps and stuff, but it, Fortnite is just pumping out so much content so consistently um, with their with their season system and, and stuff they're adding to the map, it's it's hard to keep pace. Um, I also personally think that it's just the more appealing title. I I think the visuals play into that. I think the cartoony nature of it gives it kind of an Overwatch Pixar vibe that is attractive yeah. to a broader base of people than like oh here's like CS:GO graphics on an open world map essentially. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I think that's part of the the appeal and how it's almost become like a family game. And like, yes, it's about shooting and stuff, but it's it's about as nonviolent as a shooter can get. I mean, you could throw grenades that make people like break dance in place. Like, it's <laughs> you know, it's it's not you know anything too bad. But um, and above all else, I mean, it's free. It's free to play game. Yeah, that's and a good one. PUBG is what thirty twenty thirty dollars asking price. Plus, I think I think they're still doing loot boxes and 
Fortnite mm-hmm. is free. The microtransaction system is nothing really offensive at all. Just subscribe for a season for 10 bucks and get a bunch of prizes. And like, you can buy stuff if you want, but mm-hmm. I don't know all this stuff together. I think there were a lot of smaller advantages that kind of snowballed into a huge one. And now if people are picking between PUBG and, and Fortnite, it's Fortnite's kind of steamrolling now. So that's the train you want to get on. Yeah. Yeah. It is just, a, it's a very pleasant game, you know, like it is still tense. Like PUBG, PUBG is very tense game. Yeah. I think it's much yeah. more tense. And and I think that in some ways I like that about it. You know, I, I wrote about that too, just how, how I enjoyed that sort of, that, that that you built such tension in PUBG and then it kind of all releases, if especially if you get to the end and you get into like a final shootout. And there's, simil- there's similarities in Fortnite, but it's also just a more, it's a happier game. You know? It's more colorful. It's more um, just enjoyable to be in. It's less buggy. There's fewer cheaters. Uh, and, and it costs, like you said, it costs nothing. So just kind of that feeling all around with Fortnite is one that's very pleasant and satisfying. Um, it's certainly fun to watch. Uh, I don't really watch a lot of streams. I don't watch a lot of Let's Plays. But watching someone like Ninja is really is really entertaining. Yeah, I don't watch because, Twitch anymore at all wow. just because it's so time-consuming. But, like, yeah, yeah his, his stream especially I've just found fascinating. And I just have it on in the background like half the day now. <laughs> and it's, it could, I, I guess one thing that appeals to me about Fortnite is it gives me kind of like old-school Halo vibes where you can make just these bonkers plays like using the physics. Yeah of the shooter where I watched him use like an impulse nade and pop someone up from behind a tree and then skeet shoot him in midair with like a desert Eagle. Like it's just the stuff you can do and and how matches can kind of be resolved is just crazy. And I don't think you see that a lot in other shooters these days, whether that's PUBG or CSGO or call of duty or whatever. Like there are not those like Holy crap moments in a way that, maybe some other kind of more arena based shooters used to have. And I think overwatch might have some of those um, these days, which is also why that's so popular, but Fortnite captures that really well, I think. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Uh, I think the building plays into that also because you watch people sort of build these elaborate constructions on the go as, as both a a way to move around the map, but also to provide defense or to, flank it's it's pretty interesting it's so really. goofy but it works like yeah. epic really lucked out that because i mean the original Fortnite is a building defense game where you're like defending against zombies and, and like building traps and and i am just stunned that they were able to just kind of immediately translate that into like quick building being like a competitive shooter mechanic like i would have never thought that and if, if i did think it i wouldn't have thought it would work <laughs> And it's it's I'm amazed to see kind of how people are using that as like this this aspect of competitive shooter skill that has never been done before. Mm-hmm. Yet it's clearly one of the most valuable things you can know how to master in the game. Yeah, at first I felt like that was just sort of tossed in there, kind of because they had it in the Save the World, you know, that, in that version and. Uh, but then, you know, as as we watch people get good at this game and, and develop their skills, you see how valuable it is. And I didn't realize that. I mean, I just didn't realize it at first when I first started playing this. And I'm still not very good at building, but uh, I realize I need to be if I'm going to play this more. Uh, though I do find it easier on PC also to build than on, uh, like, PS4. So. Yeah, definitely. Do you, play you, you have a lot more control on PC. Yeah. 
I, 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 I definitely think it's just easier to kind of move between building, shooting, that kind of stuff. Um, but it is one of those things that really does take time. You really have to you have to get good in the parlance <laughs> of Dark Souls. You certainly do. But that's the other kind of appealing factor about it where you can kind of be a total knucklehead when it comes to the game and still get like, you know, top oh, sure. 40, 30, 20, you know, just if you're playing somewhat carefully. And like, no, you're not going to go toe-to-toe with the last five dudes and probably come out on top. But like you can outlive a lot of people and that that kind of is its own form of gratification where – you know, every game, 99 out of 100 people are going to lose. And yep. that makes it not feel as bad when you do lose because it's just that's just how the game works. And if you get out 60th, you still survive more than 40 people. Or yeah, if you get out 98th, you just immediately start over and like yeah. nothing of value was lost. <laughs> you don't have to. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not like a Call of Duty game where you have to sit in like a lost match for 20 minutes and just watch <laughs> yourself get slaughtered. And like that's, I mean, yeah. Oh, Almost every competitive shooter has that issue to some degree outside of the Battle Royale genre. Like that can happen in Overwatch where you're just getting steamrolled and you know it. But in this, if it's just you're out, you're out, and you just start over again. It's a clean slate every five, ten minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know like my uh, my seven-year-old plays Fortnite and I'll ask him like, what'd you get? And, you know, sometimes it's, eh, I don't know, I didn't even check. And sometimes, yeah, I was number five. You know, and it's he's seven. He's he's not like out there building stuff really. I he's not push. doing much of that. He he doesn't even hide that much. He just kinda goes and gets stuff and then you know, he's I like just say, kind of the most straightforward one player. What I like more about Fortnite than PUBG is like I always I never felt like in, in Fortnite I rarely feel like I am just constantly outrunning the storm, whereas in PUBG I felt like the whole game was <laughs> fleeing yeah. from the death wall to a point where I was worried about that more than I was Oh yeah, it can like be. Fortnite, it's a presence, but it, it it never feels like as oppressive. I think as as it does in PUBG. But I want to have a game where the, the instead of a storm, it's a zombie horde. <laughs> so like, you don't just die automatically or like over like a counter. You, you know, like the zombie horde just catches up with you, and then you're like surrounded you by fight your way through it. That's yeah, not a bad idea. That'd be pretty cool. Are you transitioning to our Walking Dead podcast? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of zombie games, just just real quick, um, check out They Are Billions sometime. They Are Billions? It's Is that a yeah, game? it's on Steam. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's an early access game on Steam where you are building a settlement and the zombie horde is coming. And it's kind of a stripped down real-time strategy type. So like uh, Fortnite before? <laughs> well, no, it's it's like more like um, like Warcraft or something. Uh, okay. All right. I love RTS right. games, so. Yeah, you build you build your your settlement. You build like you can build walls and you can build guard towers and you upgrade your buildings and you upgrade your troops and all that. And you get hit with like small waves of zombies. And if you're not really prepared, they can just completely overwhelm your town. Okay. But if you're prepared, you can f- hold those off and then like eventually get to where the actual horde shows up. And it's then oh, it's like really good. hard. It's really, really cool, actually. It's it's a great concept, and it and it's uh, it's very challenging. <laughs> I, st- I still have not gotten that far in that been game. Really excess. Uh, a couple months at least. I'd I'd have to check, but uh, it's definitely worth playing, uh, especially if you like that kind of that kind of game because it it feels a little like I don't know. It feels it feels like it gets all the 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 mechanics of that style of gameplay just right. Okay. Um, and if you play it smart, you know you can hold off 
the 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 early waves of zombies. And if you if, but if you make one little slip up, I tell you, it's not much. Then Un- your town is just yeah, it's it's unforgiving. But you should give it a shot, and we yeah, can sure. talk about it later. Um, but yeah, so anyways, Fort, Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, Fortnite. I mean, the main game in Fortnite, the the game that that for that Epic was originally launching. Have you ever played that? No, I never did. It just it didn't, didn't look either. very appealing to me when I first saw it. So I'm like, I don't know, this isn't for me. And then obviously when Battle Royale came around, it's like, well, all right, well, <laughs> this is a different story. Isn't that interesting though? How they really, they, you know, they had this concept for a game, which is you know, building and survival, kind of Minecrafty, mm-hmm. um, but more of like a third person action game mixed with Minecraft. And that, you know, you almost didn't even hear about it when that was. It wasn't talked about much. It's a it weird was genre like, oh, to launch in. Yeah. That wasn't really a thing these days. And like, they they've been working on this game for a long time, and yeah, so that's really that's long. another reason I'm so <laughs> impressive. They were just able to instantly pivot to <laughs> this battle royale mode because, like, that's I guess that speaks to their flexibility. But man, that was quite the bit of jujitsu. <laughs> well, I certainly wouldn't have expected them. You know, you know this game to be the first like PUBG imitator. Not that PUBG is totally unique. Everyone they, always yells at me for saying that, but you know, PUBG well, popularized I mean, this. <laughs> you know, well, you know, people, you know, H1Z1 and some of these other ones were, were doing similar things, but PUBG came around and really popularized it and made it, made it more simple, basically simplified. And well, PUBG was the guy who made all the mods that were so popular yeah. for the other games. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then Fortnite came and kind of did did another, made it even simpler and even more accessible. It reminds <laughs> me of League of Legends swooping in to steal oh, yeah. Dota's thunder, and yeah. it's never being out of the top, you know, MOBA spot forever. I feel like it's going to be something similar to that. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be real hard to knock Fortnite off this pedestal at this point. Well, I, I've you, heard of I people like Blizzard is thinking about doing a game like this and stuff like that, but like. I, if they do, how far away would that be? I mean, that could be, right. you know, eight months, a year, two years away, depending on how they how they did it. So, well, look at Blizzard. Blizzard has had some enormous success stories. You know, I mean, obviously they were not not the first uh, MMO, but they were they certainly kind of mainstreamed the MMO genre, right? With World of Warcraft, uh, they took something kind of dense and, and inaccessible like EverQuest, and then they made it really open and appealing in a lot of ways. Uh, but then there's Heroes of the Storm, which is their attempt to get back into the MOBA genre, and that has never really taken off the way that Dota or League of Legends. Yeah, I mean, I'd say they're like... Years later. You know, four for five or five for six, because, like, they had the number one RTS, StarCraft, number one MMO, WarCraft, number mm-hmm. one ARPG, Diablo, number one arena shooter, Overwatch. Heroes was kind of their only misstep just because they, they got in so late, and mm-hmm. I feel like they're going to be too late to Battle Royale also. Not that it's really their fault, because at least at least with the with the MOBA stuff, those games spawned out of Blizzard games, so that was their fault right. for not catching that in the first place. The Battle Royale stuff, I don't really blame them for like kind of missing that boat, because I don't think anyone really saw this coming to this degree. So I, no, it's it's hard to say, but well, except for Epic, Epic seemed to to pivot really really quickly and effectively. I mean, I, I guess that's pivot so quickly yeah. and effectively. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's such a it's such a remarkable thing. There are so many other major game companies that are just drooling over the success of PUBG and Fortnite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, PUBG was such a phenomenon in its own right. Like last year, I remember first hearing about it and thinking, "What? Wait, what's this game?" And I had no idea. And 
it was just such a, it just grew so quickly. And then, and now this, I, I honestly didn't think anything would overtake PUBG this quickly, but here we are. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah, by next week, hopefully we'll have some, some experience with the mobile version of this. Uh, maybe we can talk about that some more, but uh, thanks to everyone for listening and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. See you. That's it for this episode of Overworld. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. Hi, I'm Spencer Raskoff, the CEO of Zillow Group, and I have a new podcast here on Podcast One called Office Hours. Listen as I have one-on-one conversations with other CEOs. We have the kind of conversations that can only happen between peers, tackling tough questions, sharing hard-won insights, and helping to define what leadership means today. Join me twice a month on Office Hours, exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the new Podcast One app. At Farmers Insurance, we know the sound of a perfect hot air balloon landing. And a less than perfect one. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying. And the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.